out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker. And on today's show, Ron, how to fire customers. Ed, we don't, we don't fire customers. They fire us. <laughs> Not if you're doing it right, Ron. Not if you're doing it right. I, yeah, that, that, this is going to be a fun topic because we we talked we have talked about this on a number of different occasions. A way back when we had the show on Baker's Law, which let's let's talk about this, this is the first law that you've coined, right? Right, Baker's bad, Law. Bad customers is, uh, drive out good customers. Yep, yep, so true. And when what's the story behind that? Um, it, it's a riff on the, what's the old monetary law? Um, is it Gre- Goddard's? Gresham? Is it Gresham? Gresham's, Gresham's law. Yeah, law. yeah. Bad money drives out good money. It, it's yep. that. I just, it dawned on me studying total quality service that, you know, bad customers drive out good customers, especially mm-hmm. when you read about some of these companies like Southwest, Herb Kelleher, like we talked about because he recently passed about how he would fire customers. Right. Right. That they just couldn't please. I mean, the, the, this idea that one of the one of the strains in um, customer service literature is the customer's not always right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, a lot of times the customer's wrong and, and if, if they're toxic, then they probably need to go. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where it, it all started to gel for me that we spend a disproportionate amount of our time with low value customers impairing the service and experience of the higher value customers that probably want more from us, would buy more from us, are less price sensitive because they know us. They're cheaper to serve because we 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 know them. We've climbed down the learning curve. So that's kind of how I came up with it. Yeah. And and I just to I think the obvious obvious thing here is this is not to say just because we're not we're saying that the customer is not always right doesn't mean the customer is always wrong either, right? So we, we, we are still huge advocates of listening to your customers and taking the customer feedback and trying to even anticipate where customers are going to go in the future even before they do, right? That, and that, that's, that's what we've talked about when we've talked about innovation. It's, it's really about wh- how, wh- where do we think the customer is going to be three to five years from now and how can we get there to create value for them then, right? Yep. So it's we're we're not saying that that all that customers are wrong and that you know we got to fire everybody, but we are saying that there are 
and I like the way that you put this, that there are certain customer relationships that get to be toxic inside your organization. And it's those customers that we really have to, to look at in terms of getting rid of. Yeah. And, and, and maybe other- even those that we can't serve properly anymore. Maybe it's not a toxic relationship. There could be lots of different reasons, actually. Right. If, you, if you're starting to niche, obviously, then you might have to let go of some of those customers. In fact, I'm going to tell a couple case stories of firms that did exactly that. And uh, the other thing, though, Ed, that I just learned in general from studying great customer service, and we're talking Disney, Nordstrom, Lexus, you know, all these great companies mm-hmm. in terms of customer service, is your customers aren't going to get better until you do. And maybe there's some things we can do, um, you know, before we even say, well, this is, this is a bad relationship. We need to end it. Uh, maybe we haven't given the customer a chance to be a high value customer. Mm-hmm. In other words, maybe I put the onus on the firms first. Um, and, and so I think that needs to be said as well. Yeah, no, completely agree that that sometimes we have to we have to make some adjustments to what, what who we are and and then we'll I know we'll talk more about this later but you you are your customer list ultimately so we'll we'll get to that point but it but uh, so what what do you got what do you want to start us off with this conversation I I guess just you know <clears throat> that every firm has what and we talk about this in the context of the adaptive capacity model that every firm has a maximum capacity at its given size. And that maximum capacity is not the number of hours you have. It is the number of customers that you can adequately serve at a high level. And then below that maximum capacity, there is an optimal capacity. And in my mind, the optimal, and I've got a kind of a, this might even be like an engineering definition of this, um, but the optimal capacity is the point where customers can be served adequately and it, they're not crowded out by, by you having too much capacity. In other words, we always have spare capacity for our best customers. Right. Like Marriott always has a, a hotel room for their platinum. You know, American Airlines always has a seat for guys like you, the top flyers. Um, and that's part of managing that adaptive capacity. That's why it's, it's adaptive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, the analogy that I always use, because it really drives the point home is, do you want your dentist to be at 100% capacity? Yeah. Yeah. You right. got a yeah. and yeah. He's, oh, come down no. in three weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. What do I do in the meantime? You know? Um, right. You, you want your dentist to be so good that they have excess capacity that he or she can make a living quite well, perhaps. And have, you know, yeah, a couple hours every day for those emergency situations that come in. And especially at this time of year for accountants who, by the way, are not going to listen to the show until like, you know, April 20th anyway. So it's right, good right. for them. So, you know, it, by the way, if you're an accountant listening to this show now, kudos to you, because that means you're <laughs> taking some time out, you know, if you're listening to this in real time. But we need uh, to develop a timesheet code for that. Yeah, exactly. Well, hopefully, nobody <laughs> listening to the show is doing a timesheet. No, the timesheet might be, some. Right. Be, the, might be, some. be the ultimate. Like if we have a timesheet code in some firm, that'd be weird. All right. Um, but my point being is, accountants right now, especially in the U.S., tax mode, right? And if you talk to them, they'll say, "Are you, where I'm little, well, burning 125 percent capacity? I'm working nights. I'm working weekends." And my question to them always is, "And what if?" 
the once in a lifetime customer walks through that door, what are you going to do? Right. <laughs> I, you know, I talk a lot of people off the ledge when they say, oh, we didn't get this customer. Or I proposed on this customer. We didn't get them or I lost a customer. And I always say, look, you, you didn't lose anything. You, you opened up capacity. You created a space for better opportunities. Mm -hmm. And usually those opportunities come a lot sooner than people think. Yeah. Well, and when you're open, certainly when you're open to it, see, that's just, just the thing is when you're operating at such a high capacity, even over that optimum, you know, that optimal capacity, you're not on the lookout, yeah. right? You're not on the look, you're not on the lookout for, for, for that, for that business to come in. You know, the uh, one thing that I've learned over the years is firms have tried to switch to advisory, more consultative services one of the challenges and there's many as we've talked about but one of the challenges is they're too busy they oh, don't yeah. have they don't have space they don't have the space to do it and in fact one of the case studies i'm going to talk about that's exactly what was going on and they had to they had to free up space to be able to do the higher level services that their best customers did want and were demanding well, when, I, when I'm at speaking at conferences and meeting people at cocktail receptions and that kind of thing, you know, one of my standard questions is, so how's business, right? And a fairly common response is, oh, busy. And it's like, it, it's like Tourette's. As soon as they say that, I say, raise your prices. Yep. And they look at me. You know, usually they, it's, they, they, they come back with, with a, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean raise your prices if you're really busy raise your prices really not hard <laughs> yeah that's the time to do it i mean that is that's the other part of the adaptive in the adaptive adaptive capacity model i mean we didn't have uber back when you know we wrote the firm of the future but that's what and but we knew the airlines and the hotels were managing their demand partly through pricing not totally but mm -hmm. partly and we can do the same thing so yeah uh, if you're busy and, and, and look, I never want firms to confuse being busy with being profitable. Exactly. And they do. And, and, and I think a lot of people do. And I think that's a big mistake. Um, the other thing I'd say about this, Ed, is, you know, I think, you know, we talk about human capital and social capital, and obviously customers are part of social capital. Um, but for purposes of this conversation, I think customer capital is is as important as your firm's human capital. In other words, who is your ideal customer? What is their profile? Whatever you want to, however you want to think about it, niche, whatever. And that is just as important as nur in, uh, in requires nurturing, just like your human capital does. We have to guard that we're getting the right customers on board because pricing experts for years have been talking about there's, there's no, there's, you can't value price the wrong customer. You just can't. So if you've got the wrong customer in front of you, and that's not even a pricing problem, that's a strategy and a positioning problem, pre-qualification problem maybe if you have a sales force, but the wrong customer has all sorts of negative side effects all the way down the line. Yeah, and I want to address that a little bit more in a in a future segment, probably the second segment, Ron, because I think that I've got some thoughts on how do we identify those customers that we might want to go about firing Right. And that actually even that conversation even leads into the, what you're talking about, which is, OK, once I've identified those customers, what do I do to make sure that I don't attract any more? 
Right, right. right. That's the bizarre part about this. And I, and I think as we, we paint that word picture, it'll become a little bit more clear. But I just wanted to leverage off of one last thing you said before our next break. And that is, while I my, my it's not really a joke that when people say to me, I'm busy, and I say, raise your prices. But what I don't want people to interpret that as is that the best way to fire customers is by raising the price. I think that, in fact, I think that's a poor way to go about doing it just through increasing your prices. I do too. And, and we can talk about this and, and we've got lots of evidence for this, that when, when prices are raised, even sometimes by a multiple of three or four to get rid of those, you know, D's and F so-called customers that they stay. And I always say, yeah, look, the, you know, the barnacles always stay attached to the boat. I mean, the, the, the worst customers are going to say, and it, it also just gives you a taste for how much money we're leaving on the table. Right. When you, when you can quadruple your price and, and, you know, 90% of your D's and F's stay, that's, mm-hmm. that tells me something that your pricing's messed up as well. Nope. Nope, absolutely. All right. Well, look, look at this, Ron. We're already up against our first break. Want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website, The Soul of Enterprise, where we do have show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. And all importantly, we've updated our calendar recently. So if you are interested in participating in any of the events that Ron or I or both will be speaking at, go to that calendar that's pretty clearly labeled as to who will be where and when, including our event in Chicago coming up on subscription-based pricing. Love for you to be there. The event, the organizer of that event, the Strategic Leadership Association, has graciously opened it up to non-members. So if you're in the Chicago area or want to plan a trip to Chicago, we'd love to see you at that event. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
And we are talking about how to fire customers on the soul of enterprise today. Very interesting topic that Ron and I are, are both passionate about uh, for reasons that we stated in the first segment. But Ron, I wanted to mention to you, I've, I've come across a, a way that to, to perhaps help some people identify who the customers are that they might want to consider firing. Notice I'm not saying that, okay, this is how you do it. You get these people and then you fire these guys. No, right. it, this, is just, this, is just, this is just a guide, right? It's just me- meant as a guide. And it's, some might say complicated, and I'll, and I'll put some instructions up on the website. I'll even put up a sample spreadsheet up there that you can, you can do this on. It's, it's leveraged off of uh, four pieces of information. So you need four pieces of information to do this. The customer name, I think they all have that. Right, they've got a customer list. I hope, <laughs> hope. <laughs> if even not, if they don't have a CRM. Yeah, yeah. Even they don't have that. You need you need some discrete measurement of their revenue. Now, whether you want to do revenue of lifetime or two years or five years, that, that's I don't care. But you need to 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 know what their total revenue is for some time period, some discrete time period. And if you're not aware of that, Sage.com. And right. we can help you. We can, we can help you. We can help you we'll through help that. You. Yep. <laughs> we'll help you get. We'll help you gather that. All right. So that's the two. Now the 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 other challenges is to get the following two pieces of information. So the the, the third component is the net promoter score, or, or what I'll call as the aggregate net promoter score for that customer. So what I'd li- like you to see here, uh, obviously, and I'm not going to get into the details of how to how I would implement Net Promoter, but let's just say that you go out, we implement Net Promoter, and that we get some kind of a summary. So if we have multiple contacts for a particular customer, we lump them together, and we get a discrete Net Promoter score for that particular customer on the Rykel scale, which is 0 to 10, all right? So that's the other thing that you'll need by customer, right? And then the fourth piece of information, and this is this is based on Reicheld's work, but this is where I deviate from Reicheld because Reicheld, for his fourth of in, piece of information, suggests that you put profitability hmm. per customer in there. And as you are aware, Ron, and probably our audience is, that's not a metric that you and I would recommend anybody try to even calculate. Right. Right. Profit per customer because it's just too dang hard. Right. So to substitute and as a proxy for that, what I recommend is that you rate the following question about each customer. This customer is clearly a joy to work with. And I use the uh, scale of one to six Mm -hmm. here. Right. So you can't use you can't you can't, you know, mid rate them. You can't say three and a half. And again, you can gather this feedback from multiple people inside the organization. So if, it, if you have four or five people who work on that particular customer's engagement or, or matter, gather it together, average it, weight it, however you want to do it. But you need to you need to arrive at a single score for that customer. Right. And then just one real quick thing on that. I think that's a yeah. great, it's a great idea. Because as you know, I think some customers, especially maybe even the toxic ones, may be sweet as pie to you because you're the partner, but may be just a beast to your team. Correct. And so their their feedback is inc- incredibly important as well, not just the partners who may not know the flaws of the customer like the team does. Right. That's exactly correct. And so uh, so we need those four pieces of information. And then, and as I said, I will put a spreadsheet out that you can download and use this. And then what you need to do is you need to plot this on in Excel, 
right? On a, it's not a two by two, it's a two by three, <laughs> right? right? Because what, what you're gonna do is you're going to, to have net promoter score along the bottom as your X axis. And then you're gonna have that, what I call CLS or customer likability score up on your Y axis, right? So, so it'll be uh, one to six would mm -hmm. be the average, right? So now just think about this in terms of now six boxes because Reichheld again breaks people into into three discrete groups, right? Promoters, neutrals, and and detractors. Detractors, yep. Right. So now you have this this two by three, and in the top corner, this would be the company companies that have a high net promoter score, or you have a high net promoter score from them, and they have a high customer likability score from you. Right. So high likability, high net promoter. Those are your A customers. Right now, as far as the revenue component, what I want you to do is I want you to use a bubble chart and make the, the, the bubble the size of the revenue mm -hmm. so that you'll be able to see small customers versus big customers on this chart as well. Right. So the larger the bubble, the larger the, the revenue over some period of time. Right. So that's the A customer, right? And then down in the lower quadrant, the lower left quadrant would be those that have low customer likability scores and have a low net promoter score of you, right? Those are your F customers, right? And then I also have a B, C, D, and E. E is kind of weird because nobody gets an E grade, you know, but you know, just, just understand that that's one way below F. Now there's all kinds of really fun stuff that you can do in here. And I have a whole presentation on this, but we're talking specifically about how to fire customers here. So I'm not going to go through that whole thing of there's things that you can do to move B's to A's, et cetera. Right, right. What I am then saying is, okay, now we've identified down in our F quadrant who those potential people are, right? And what we're looking for is commonality about them. What do we notice, right? it may well be that they are all of the customers that are large in revenue. I mean, we might see that the small bubbles are up here. And it, I don't know. We might find that those in the F quadrant are have a particular uh, psychographic commonality to them, or they might be in a similar industry or something like that. And then here's where I say like the real key is, is to do two things. One, evaluate the, what those are. And like you said before, sometimes, what that means is it might just be a situation where we haven't appriced them appropriately our fault. And we should increase the price on them because the reason why they have a low likability score is because they have, you know, they're not nasty or anything. They're not toxic, but they have high demands on us. Right. And we're not charging them enough. Right. So it might increase our, their likability score. Right. And then also we need to, to, to say, well, if it, they don't like us and we don't like them, what are we doing here? Let's yeah. evaluate this situation. Like who, who's winning in this? We don't like them. They don't like us. Who's winning? Right. 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 <laughs> we both have to win. Right. Isn't we, both, both? Like, we both have to win. And we're both losing. And then this is where I, I, I usually get into a diatribe, which I won't because it'll be another half hour on this show. But by all means, don't create marketing initiatives that attract more people that look like those F customers. And I can't tell you how many people after I have explained this have had this epiphany and they go, Oh my God, <laughs> our marketing is completely focused 
on getting more of those people. Yep. No, it's so true. It, it's why it's why strategy and positioning and marketing come before the pricing, right? Got to got to get the right customers on the ship. You know, I like that, Ed. I um, I like that grading criteria because it's a mix of both objective and subjective. When when I um, worked with a lot of firms in the past, and this is in my book as well, some of the objective criteria was like you said, revenue, uh, but we'd also look at you know payment history, right? Where they prompt payers, uh, what was their potential for growth, for referrals? What were their actual referrals? Um, what is the risk of having this customer? What's the risk profile of the customer to, to the firm? And also like timing of work, you know, is it, is it in our crunch season or is it in our off season? Um, do they have reasonable expectations? Are they willing to take advice and are they profitable and not undercapitalized? And some firms would, you know, rate that or some of those on a scale of one to five or whatever. Um, and But then Rick Payne, when he practiced in Australia, he had a 12-point criteria for evaluating new customers. And this was part of his onboarding process. And they had to be in business for at least three years. They had to be pleasant, outgoing personality. They had to be willing to listen to advice. They had to have a positive dip disposition, technically competent. Their business had to be profitable and not chronically undercapitalized. Uh, that their business had to not be dominated by a small number of customers or suppliers, um, and they had to have a strategy and a, a strategic plan. And and now he wasn't stickler on all of those. If like for instance, if they didn't have a strategic plan, maybe that was his point of entry for the first service. He'd help them develop one. Uh, but I always thought that that was it, from a from a business client perspective. I always thought that was a very interesting criteria because he he didn't want to go after the startups. He wanted more established businesses, mm -hmm. and I, I thought that was cool. But but your um, your criteria I think is really good. It's it's um, partly your question about you know what, what was your question about the. Um, do we have joy in serving these customers? Yeah, yeah. This customer is clearly a joy to work with. Right, right. right. That's this very similar to Maester's, you know, in his book, True Professionalism. He used to ask three questions of people uh, to categorize the customers they work with. And, and he would do this with the work that they do as well, not just the customer, mm -hmm. but the actual work. But let's just stick with the customer. He, um, his three categories were, I really like doing, I love doing this type of work. I can tolerate it. You know, it's what I do. If I'm brutally honest, I hate it. And what he found was that 80% were in those bottom two categories. Oh, I know. So he'd, he'd say, we spend one day a week working on things that we truly love it, with people that we truly love. And he thought that the, you know, it was just out of balance, out of whack. And, and so I always thought that subjective criteria, you know, where's your gut go when they call? If you were, um, if you won the lottery tomorrow, would you continue to work for me? You know, there's all certain, and like your question. Um, but what I've learned is no matter where you come out on that objective criteria, like NPS, like revenue, like all these other criteria that you could use, the, the ultimate, the, your gut is probably usually right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I I agree. I mean, and and that that's that that customer likability score is totally subjective. It, it's it's oh. it's a it's a judgment. You know, it's it's some it's trying to take a um, what is a subjective judgment and put a number on it in some way. But it, it's 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 actually based off of the Marcus Buckingham 
surveys that he does of, mm-hmm. of inter- inside people and using his scale, that six point scale, um, you know, and just start. But what was the what was the one that I, and I forget who had this line before we go to our break. But this is a, a joke line you used to do the 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 customer criteria where can they fog a mirror? And, do they have a checkbook? They have a checkbook. And can they fog? If I put a mirror in front of them, does it fog? This is Dan Morris, and he said, and look, if the mirror doesn't fog. We can do some estate work, probably. <laughs> Is there a checkbook that for signature authority? That's all. So really, that's ultimately all right. Well, we're up against our next break, Ron. I remind you that we are the soul of enterprise.com, which is where we have available show notes. Also, the Patreon site. And we have gotten a couple of new subscribers, so we'd love for you to go out there and subscribe to our Patreon site. This is where we do bonus episodes, uh, as well as the episodes of the Soul of Enterprise without commercial interruption. And now that we're moving platforms, perhaps even more videos, Ron. They're gonna, if, they're, if they're out on Patreon, you'll get to see the show on video. But right now, a word from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S forward slash S-O-E. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about how to fire a customer. And Ed, before we go on, we've got a couple of new iTunes reviews that I'd like to give a shout out to. Uh, Daniel Dalto, who wrote us a review. He called the show Refreshingly Original, gave us five stars and said, as a newly minted accounting graduate, it's hard enough to keep up with the learning curve of entering public accounting, let alone get ahead of it. 
not only Ron and Ed just uh, not only do Ron and Ed discuss topics you'll rather hear you'll you'll rarely sorry hear around the office, but their focus on membership, mentorship, and thinking beyond conventional wisdom is refreshingly original. I highly recommend this to any young professional. Thanks so much, Daniel. That's fantastic. And then another um, listener uh, wrote, when in Bora Bora, <laughs> uh, this is Dolly125, so I'm not sure of, of uh, his or her name, but she said, about a year ago, I started listening to The Soul of Enterprise. I started listening on the way to the Expensicon conference in Bora Bora, which I was invited to but couldn't do because I had a conflict. She said, um, one morning, I happened to sit down with Greg LaFollette, our friend, and listener of the show for breakfast. You know what we talked about? The Soul of Enterprise podcast. If you're a forward-thinking accountant or business professional, this is an entertaining as well as an enlightening podcast. My favorite episode is The Laws of Systems Thinking. That episode has saved my company piles of money. Wow. I'd love to know how. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Zolly, if you want to uh, shed more light on how systems thinking has saved your company a, a pile of money, please let us know. We'd be really curious. Send us, send us an email because uh, Ed and I believe this. Uh, most people just don't think in systems. No, no. And we, we're writing that curriculum for, for the thing we're doing in Chicago, Ron. And we talked a little bit about it yesterday. And you're like, we got to include laws of systems thinking. Got to include it. Because it's, it's so critical to understanding subscription-based pricing. It really is. It really is. So, Ed, I want to tell you a story uh, that Paul Dunn had wrote uh, in, in my book, or in the book that we co-authored together, The Firm of the Future. But when he used to do the boot camps, he used to ask audiences this question all the time. How many of us have customers we wish we didn't have? And I know you've asked that question. I always ask that question. And what, 90%? Maybe a hundred percent of the hands go up. It's absolutely At least one. amazing. At least it's, one customer. Yeah. In fact, Paul O'Byrne, the late Paul O'Byrne, our colleague, used to take it a step further and say, "I want you to pick up your pen and write down one name of a customer you want to fire," and they wouldn't even pick up the pen <laughs> because and 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 he got so frustrated by this after doing this many times and said, "Why aren't you picking up the pen and just? I know you just raised your hand. Why can't you write down one name?" And they said, "Well, we work really hard to get these customers." Why would we want to fire them? But so anyway, this guy who attends, a guy named Tom Waddell, attended Paul's four-day boot camp program. Six mm -hmm. weeks prior to attending this program, he was appointed managing partner. Mm -hmm. Who is that? Yeah. Man, we got some we got some crazy background noise going on. Uh Josh. Josh, if you could <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what like that Like it sounds was. like there's an open mic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Um, Family so, show. <laughs> so they, yeah. <laughs> so they, so they come back from this boot camp. A few of the partners went, and they come back from the boot camp. And Tom, you know, is driving back in the car. He says, "You guys, are you with me? Are you with me?" And so oh, Tom, we're with you. Yep, yep. We really want to do what they talked about in the boot camp. So he goes in the next morning. He goes to the team. He hands him a sheet of paper. He's got all the customers list and he says, tell me the firms, circle everyone's name on this list you don't like dealing with and give it back to me. He did this to the team members, not the partners. Right. And, and, and by 11 o'clock, by noon, he got this list back. He sat down, he called every one of those cu customers and he disengaged. He fired them. Wow. And then the partners have a meeting at four o'clock after they catch wind of this. And say, 
Tom, we're not sure we're with you anymore. <laughs> you know, we thought we were, but what you, you just let go $64,000 worth of revenue. And uh, the, the outcome of the story was, yes, they, they, they lost 64 grand in revenue when they did this, but within the next like six weeks, they, they garnered 300 grand in business advisory services work, which is where they wanted to focus their attention. And Tom said the greatest thing, he said, we couldn't have gotten that unless we created $64,000 worth of space. Brilliant. Absolutely and, brilliant. Yeah, it was just it, it was just great the way he did it. I mean, he, he said, look, this is the right thing to do and I'm just going to execute it. He didn't go ask the partners. He didn't, you know, some of those customers were obviously other partners, customers, and he just did it as the managing partner. And, uh, and of course, the partners hated them that day. But when they saw the outcome of what it did, and of course, the team morale skyrocketed. Right. Oh, sure. And, you know, and I think that's that's the other side of this, too, is, you know, I, I mentioned Marcus Buckingham earlier about the, the and the question that I uh, ask on on this customer's clearly a joy to work with is is morphed off of uh, his thinking in his book. I think it's called now work on your strengths. Right. 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 Um, where he does this whole thing about an active employee survey or team member survey. And one of the questions in there is I like the people that I work with when I and that's no, that's one of the highest questions in his thing that's that's correlated to financial performance of the organization, right? And what I keep telling professionals is, and oh, by the way, since the majority of professionals work every day, day in, day out with customers, customers are the people you work with. It's not it's not just the people that get a paycheck from the firm, right, right? It's the active customers. I mean, you know, we're not in a retail space where somebody, yeah, and you might, there might be a situation where there might be, a, you know, one or two customers that comes into a, a retail organization that you don't like that day, um, that you that you have to, oh, this person's an idiot, you got to deal with it, right? We're talking day in, day out, and as Maester found, it was eighty percent. Yep. You know, and no wonder the suicide rate is high among <laughs> and <laughs> depression and divorce. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know. A really bad thing. So I, you know, we have to keep in mind that those are the people that quote we work with. The customers are in that in that category as well. It's not just colleagues. Right. Right. No. I. I think that's why maybe customer capital deserves its own spot in the, you know, intellectual capital uh, grouping. I know we put it under social capital, but really, customer capital is really important. The other thing, Ed, dealing with this capacity issue. Um, you know, most pricing and consultants, when you when you read their work, they'll say one of the leading causes of pricing mistakes is the result of misallocating capacity to low value customers due to the fear of running at running at optimal or maximum capacity. In other words, you know, we've got all this capacity that we're not utilizing and we have to pay for it, it's fixed cost, blah, blah, blah. So we'll just go out and, and get anything, you know, bring any job in here just to kind of keep the lights on type thinking. And professional firms do this all the time. I mean, like, for instance, CPA firms will will do maybe some uh, not-for-profit work because that work is usually done in the summer because mm -hmm. of the, the type of fiscal year. So when they're not busy, but what they but, but what they do to get that work is they undercut their price just to bring in the work, keep the people happy and or keep the people working. <laughs> busy. And keep the people busy. <laughs> keep, keep them busy. And what they don't understand is the trade-off. 
what they're doing to their branding, what they're doing to their pricing integrity, the message they're sending into the marketplace that, you know, yeah, we, we want to be a high, high value provider, high price provider for the rest of the year. But during these three or four months, when we're slow, we'll take on this, you know, lower value work and we'll cut our price to do it. And I just think that that's an incredibly bad trap to get into. And it's, it's probably a long-term mistake. And I just advise so much against that. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more on that. Yeah, that just, just bring it in for the sake of revenue. Well, that, you know, that just goes back to every dollar is a good dollar, right? The, the market share myth. And yeah. we just, we know, we know that's not, we, that's not true. It's not been true for a while. So Ron, I don't, we have a person who's actually commented on Twitter, uh, okay. our episode live. So I'll be in the next couple of minutes. I want to throw this at you and see what your thoughts are. And okay. Uh, Jeannie, she says, I'm an estate planning attorney. Most of my clients are in the A and B ranges, but sometimes their families and heirs swim in D to F. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Friends and family are F clients. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> uh, it's tricky to manage firing people whom I didn't choose to work with. I do refuse to take them on sometimes, but it's not pleasant. Yeah. That, that is an interesting issue because yeah, when, especially when you have a really good client, they send you a referral. I think what O'Byrne and Kennedy found, and we've had Paul O'Byrne on the show, and he talked about how they fired over 500 customers within like a two-year time period. I mean, he joked that, you know, we've developed a core competency in firing customers. <laughs> and they had that situation constantly. You know, they'd have a good customer and they'd say, oh, could you do my brother-in-law's work? And and they, they said, well, you know, it's not really a good fit. We only want to work with customers that we can really add value to. And as much as we'd love to help your brother-in-law, um, we just don't think that we're the right firm. We're happy to refer them to other firms that we know who would be a better fit for them. If he has questions, he can certainly come to us and we're, we're happy to give a second opinion or answer questions. Uh, and I think there's a way to do that professionally. But I agree, it's not, it's, it's not pleasant because when you have a really good customer, you want to do whatever you can for them. But if, I think if you're professional about it, the customers grow to respect that. They go, look, this firm is only working with a certain class of people. I feel privileged to be in the club. And as much as I'd like to get my deadbeat brother-in-law in the club, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. The air scenario one is is challenging, right? I mean, she's it taking is. on someone and then they get the heir who's, I guess, the executor of the estate or whatever. And they're like, oh, uh, I mean, maybe that's something, uh, Jeannie, you can build into your your process of, hey, I, I have to be able to meet the executor as well. I mean, uh, just to, to see if they're a rational, reasonable human being. I don't know. Just just a thought out of left field. Maybe that doesn't pertain. But thank you so much for your yeah, your question. We love, love 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 hearing from people live during the show. So that's awesome. Certainly, the PETA factor can be built into your pricing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, right. Not my favorite strategy, but you know. Uh, you know, there's a twenty percent PETA surcharge isn't the worst thing. It, it, look, here's here's what we're saying with that. Just jumping back to that before we take go go to the break, but don't use price as the sole strategy for getting for firing customers. That that's yeah. really the message. Yeah. And or onboarding them. Don't right. just quote a price to somebody that you know is going to be an F customer and and make that price ridiculously high just to chase them away because you might get them. And as Maester pointed out, you know, if we're just faking it, then <laughs> that's the world's oldest profession. 
Right. No, exactly. All right. Well, here we are, Ron, up against the break. This show is really going fast. I know we say that a lot, but man, I got to tell you, this one especially. But want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me sending an email to AskTSOE. We'll do, to do that. And of course, uh, we do monitor Twitter during the show. So if you do have a question while we're on the air, love to hear from you. And that is at AskTSOE. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about how to fire a customer. And Ed, in the mid-90s, Dan Morris and I were up in Lake Tahoe teaching for the Cal CPA Education Foundation. And there was a lot of building going on. You know, Marriott built some condos there and some, some um, share properties and things like that. And they were raising uh, the older buildings, you know, the T-shirt shops, the really kind of scrummy places, you know, burger mm-hmm. joints and stuff like that. And a local newspaper article kind of explained what was going on. And they put it this way. They said for every new room being added somewhere between two and three would be lost, but the room added would be of of much greater value. And 
Dan and I were kind of driving around the lake one night and after dinner and, and we were talking about this idea and Dan came up with this idea of a forced churn. He said, well, why can't we do the same thing with customers? For every new customer that you add, hopefully an A or a B, you, you get rid of two, three or four Ds and Fs. That way you don't have to do it all at one time like, like Tom Waddell did. You know, he, he did it in one day, literally, or a couple hours. Right. Um, you could do it gradually, especially if you're a newer firm and you're really worried about the revenue hit. You just do this force churn idea and you slowly upgrade your, your airplane with more first class and business class customers. And I always kind of liked that. I always thought that that was a clever, um, a, cl- a clever take on that topic. Yeah, but you have to get past the, the notion that that revenue growth is key, right? That's that that just leads us back into the whole revenue, all you know, growth for the sake of growth sake is the ideology of a cancer cell, not a sustainable business, and that because that that's where people get stuck, right? Oh yeah, well I just added a customer. Well, why would I fire one? Then it's, my revenue is going to go down. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, so true. And and uh, yeah, that's the last thing you want to do is just keep adding. Um, you know, revenue for the sake of revenue, because then you're just not, you're, you're not going to pivot away from that low value work. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, you know, we do have a script and I will put this in the show notes of how to fire a customer. And Paul Dunn wrote this script and and it's really good. It's, it's, it's three paragraphs, but we believe, or at least I believe, and I'll let you chime in, Ed, I think if, when you fire, come to fire a customer, you've made the decision it needs to be face to face. It shouldn't be done in an email. Shouldn't certainly we shouldn't be done in, with a text. And the conversation is kind of like breaking up with a girlfriend or boyfriend, right? It's oh, it's not you, it's me. It's not I, you, honey. It's me. <laughs> yeah, that was Paul O'Byrne's famous line. You know, it's it's not you, it's me. We've changed, and that's kind of what the script is alluding to. And it's just a really kind of classy way to disengage and do it in a professional manner that feels the customer, you know, leaves them feeling good, but you also want to give them a runway to go to. So set up referrals to other firms. Yeah. You, you, they get to go wherever they want, but if you say to them, look, there's two firms or three firms that we really respect. Uh, We have a working relationship. We'll be able to transfer the files, be available for questions, uh, make their transition as smoothly as possible. And what O'Byrne and Kennedy found when they fired 500 customers in two years, and they operate in a pretty small town outside of London, hurt for sure, um, was that they they kept their their reputation, their goodwill, their brand intact. And actually, people were quite impressed with what they did because they said, yeah, this firm is is now focused on this higher level consulting and helping businesses grow. And it actually enhanced their reputation. And that was a side effect that they did not see or did not expect when they, you know, embarked on this. Yeah, that notion of doing it professionally is so important, uh, you know, and and it's it's really got to be a genuine uh, seeking of trying to find a place for these folks to land that you know is going to be helpful. I mean, I I joke, and it is a joke if you've ever hear, heard me say this, but, you know, the fastest way to kill your competition is to give them all your F customers, right? But but that is a joke. I mean, I, I, I don't think that you should willingly, you know, put people <laughs> trying to, let's see if I can get this people out of, can you find them an adequate place to land? Um, is H&R Block the place for them to go, right? It, l- deal with that reality. If that, if look, they're only when, willing to spend 250 bucks or $350 for a tax return, that's where they should be going. 
right? right. Yep. And then I think after they fired around 300 of these customers, or maybe it was 200, they figured out that, hey, you know, even though they're low value customers to us or high value customers to firms just starting out, they actually sold a big tranche of those customers to to a firm. And they, they fully disclosed it to the customers. They said, if you want to work with this firm, we do have a, uh, you know, buyout provision. They are paying us. But uh, a lot of the customers were okay with that because they knew that OBK was going to make the transition successfully. And, and what Paul said is we got paid for not doing work for customers we didn't want. <laughs> uh, you know, and that cash, the cash they got from that, they invested in marketing to focus more on getting the business advisory customers that they did want. Yeah. So many important lessons there. They just, that's genius. Yeah. We got paid. Did, and when they did that, did they get like, did they take a percentage of the, of the rev, future revenue? Or was uh, yeah. It just- no, I, no, I think they got paid like a one time of whatever the, you know, last annual revenue was or something. It might've been 1.2 times or something, you know, one year's revenue that they sold mm-hmm. off because they weren't really doing much else for those customers. So the revenue was fairly static. Sure. The compliance work. One more um, real quick strategy, and this is our colleague Dan Morris. He, because uh, he had the criteria of, <laughs> do you have a checkbook? And if I put a mirror in front of you, will it fog? Uh, that was his customer acquisition process in the early days of building his firm. And when you have that type of, you know, uh, pre-qualification process, you're going to end up filling the back of the plane with a lot of DNF customers. And what he did was he cut off the back of the plane and he moved it across the street. He didn't fire them. He moved it across the street. They were kind of low end compliance tax, relatively simple tax return work. And he created a new brand, new company called Express Tax. And he put, he hired an enrolled agent and he put her in charge of that business. And he never saw those customers. He had a separate office separate furniture, separate pricing structure. I mean, everything was, you know, completely rebranded for that, for that segment of the market. The, the CPA firm owned it and that was disclosed. And some of those clients could migrate back to the mothership if they needed to, like if they started a business or they won the lottery or their life got complicated and they needed a CPA. But that was an incredibly successful strategy. He has since sold that firm uh, I think two or three years ago, but for, for several years, it ran at, at a nice little profit and he never saw much of those customers, nor did he spend much time serving them. And did any of the, his, his personnel, his, his, his team go over as part of that express tax or was it com- a completely new entity? Yes. I think he, he had the EA on his team and he put her in charge of that entirely new entity. And in fact, so there was I, continuity then too. There was continuity there. In fact, yeah. I think she was the one that bought it. From oh, okay. Her. Yeah. So, um, but that, that, that's, and we've seen more and more firms do that set up a low entry or, and you know, Rory Sutherland's talks about this and Tim Williams right. talks about this with magic logic, you know, Ogilvy setting up, what do they call it? The red, uh, red works. Right, uh, you know, a beautiful factory to do more of the logic work, and the magic work stays within the Ogilvy firm, mm-hmm. uh, and they separate that magic logic work. So that is another viable strategy as opposed to just firing customers. No, I think that's it's absolutely brilliant, brilliant though. So. 
It really is. Well, and you know, just one last thing. I know we got to go get out of here, but uh, it's like Tom Peter says, it's axiomatic. You're as good or as bad as the character of your customer list in a very real sense. You are your customer list. And Paulo Burnsett would say, how does that make you feel? Yep, <clears throat> absolutely. All right. <laughs> All right, Ed, what's up for next week? Well, it, as you know, it's the end of the month and this, this year or this month, we don't have any blocking it, which we did last month. So it's going to be free rider friday right on great updates looking forward to it see you in 167 hours this has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by sage energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.